As we embark on this summer season, uh, we'll be journeying through the book of Acts. Two weeks ago, we, heard, we read the story of Jesus' bodily ascension into heaven, where he sits on the throne, reigning over his kingdom. And at the time of his ascension, he told his disciples just to wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today we celebrate that divine power of the Holy Spirit coming down upon the people 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, known as Pentecost. We've already read the Pentecost story throughout this service as we read from Acts 2, verses 1 to 47. And we look specifically at the questions asked in this passage. In verse 12, what does this mean? And verse 37, what shall we do? Let's come to God in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Ancient words that still hold true for us today, that tell the story of what you have done for us through your son Jesus Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, as we've read these words and now we hear the proclamation of these words, we just pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be upon us. And may we be... Uh, open to what it is that you are prodding us with this morning, and not just to receive it as information, but to live it out and practice all that you call us to do this morning and throughout our lives. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As elders, uh, we are discussing a, a book by Todd Bolsinger, and it's titled Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. And as we are going through this book, we are being challenged with similar questions that were asked in the book of Acts. And this book reminds us, that we're, the book that we're studying reminds us that no matter how much training we have, or how much life experience, or leadership skills, we will always have questions. And we, we may expect things in the church to, to go a certain way, to a certain direction. But often things in church and in our lives take a turn. Not necessarily for the worst. But they take a turn. And they end up going off that nice and tidy map that we're used to watching and looking at. And our GPS is not always up to date. So what we have to do is to adapt we have to adapt as leaders. We have to adapt as church, as congregations. Now, you have to admit that the church is an interesting organism created by God. Through various passages in Scripture, whether it be Ephesians 4 or 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Peter 4, the writers offer, refer to the church as the body of Christ. One body, but many different gifts and a diversity of people. I mean, just take a look around at us. We're not all the same. We don't dress the same. We don't look the same. We don't always act the same. And so when I read Scripture, and as a member of Exeter Christian Reformed Church, I continue to ask myself, how is it possible for God's people to come together as a group of diverse people Diverse thinkers, diverse academic and vocational backgrounds, diverse preferences, diverse views on moral and even biblical issues. And one might even define the church as a motley crew of God's people. You'd think it'd just be best if there were churches of one. So that means you have your church, I have my church, and then we'll trust that everything works out okay. 
and that would make life so much easier. No diversity, no conflict. We all get to do things our own way based on our own preferences, right? I know many of you have heard that story, and I'm going to repeat it this morning, of the guy stranded by himself on an island where several years go by and a boat finally sees his smoke signals and he gets rescued and the captain of the boat comes ashore and greets the guy, happens to notice the three huts that are on the island and the captain asks the fellow, well, what's the significance of the three huts? And the guy then goes on to explain that the first hut's my house and the second hut is my church. And the captain asks, well, what about the third hut? And the fellow mentions that the church, that's the church I used to go to. Right? It's a joke. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> but there's truth. I was reminded again this week, there's truth to jokes. So are we that incapable of worshiping together? I guess I would say yes. Except through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in our Reformed Confessions, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3, question and answer 8, it asks the question, are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer is yes, unless we're born again by the Spirit of God. So I think, are we unable to worship together? Yes, unless through the power of the Spirit of God. So verse 12 in Acts 2 asks the question, what does all this mean? It means thank God for Pentecost. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in us, bringing a diverse group of people together as one community, as a body, not as individual churches, but a communal church in unity. So let's go through this passage a little more. The first 13 verses, I'm kind of intrigued uh, by some of the words and phrases that are mentioned here. That people were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit enabled them. People came together in bewilderment, and they were utterly amazed. They were amazed and perplexed. Just picture people drunk and having had too much wine or alcohol. That is the same scene that is presented before us here in Acts 2. Pentecost appropriately took place during the Harvest Festival. Thousands of people from different areas gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest of their crops. You see, what ended up occurring is the harvest of God's people into the church. And people hear the sound of the blowing wind. People see the tongues of fire upon the disciples. Imagine that scene on that Sunday. God uses fire in scriptures. And fire can be used to uh, represent different things. Fire can be devastating. It can be dangerous. It can be bad. Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah had sulfur and fire rained down to destroy them. Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about fire and hell and eternal fire. James, uh, the Apostle James refers to the tongue as a fire, a world of evil among the body parts. The book of Revelation talks about eternal fire and plagues of fire and fire devouring people and the lake of fire. Fire in Scripture is not always a good thing. But we do see it used often for the good. Throughout the Old Testament, people have burnt offerings to the Lord. These fires created an aroma pleasing to the Lord. God led the Israelites through the desert with a pillar of fire to provide them guidance and direction. 
God appeared to Moses through a flaming bush. And later in the book of Exodus, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. In Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. So fire can be bad. And fire can be good. And fire in Scripture, from the positive sense, often goes hand in hand with the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Fire is used for the visible representation of the Holy Spirit. The consuming fire can also be the Holy Spirit consuming our lives as we are surrendering our life to the Holy Spirit. Yes, uncomfortable and difficult stuff to do at times. But where there is fire involved, there is transformation. Where there is the Holy Spirit there is transformation. There is God refining his people. So as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people on this Pentecost Sunday, some were moved by the message, and they came to believe. And yet others ridiculed the message. Their answer to what does all this mean was that the disciples were just drunk on wine. Even through the Spirit's powerful work, people still have the ability to be disobedient. So now we move to the following verses, 14. Following verses 14 to 21, Peter addresses the crowd. And he emphasizes that, folks, these, these apostles, these disciples are not drunk on wine. Peter, who weeks earlier denied the Lord Jesus three times at Christ's crucifixion, is now bold and ready to stand before the people. But take notice, as we read Scripture, that he stands with the eleven. He's not alone in this case. You see, ministry is often, not always, but often done in community. Ministry is often done as a team. And so Peter reaffirms, along with the team surrounding him, what was prophesied centuries earlier by Joel. Peter states that diverse people will receive the Holy Spirit. And he says sons and daughters and men and women and, and even servants will be prophesying. There's no distinction. There's no discrimination. A group of diverse people gathering together and proclaiming the same, that one story of Jesus. There is no holding back to whom can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go through the book of Acts more and more, the emphasis in the book of Acts is the power that we receive to prophesy, to speak the gospel message to those who believe and to those who do not believe, to those who will receive and to those who will not receive. And we don't always know the difference. Only God does. Peter goes on to tell the gospel. He tells the story as we read from verses 22 to 36, where Jesus was born, he lived, he performed miracles, he died at the hands of the people, and Peter was kind of pointing fingers, but probably at himself as well. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and reigns on high. And this was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was fulfilled in the New Testament. And he closes off the story that God made Jesus Lord and Messiah, verse 36. And in verse 37, the people then cry out a similar question. What shall we do? 
well, if it were only up to us, we'd probably choose to do nothing. Or we'd probably choose at least maybe to do our own thing. Remember, it goes back to the story, the church of me, myself, and I. The Holy Spirit is active and calls people to praise and calls people to obedience. The Holy Spirit upon people means transformation of hearts and minds can occur. And Peter preached the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit works in the people to repent and be baptized, to believe. The gospel message is transforming. And the Holy Spirit will work that transformation in the lives of God's people, in our lives. Now again, Peter is telling the people that they are the ones who put Jesus to death. And yet, Jesus offers salvation to those who put him on the cross. There is forgiveness of sins for those who repent and believe. Those of us who are sinners and whose sins also put Jesus on the cross have forgiveness of all our sins through the grace of God. We celebrated that again this morning through the sacrament of the body and blood. David Gooding, New Testament theologian, put it this way. They had murdered God's son. And he was offering them his spirit. They had crucified the second person of the Trinity. He was offering them the third. They had thrown God's son out of the vineyard in the hope of inheriting the vineyard themselves. And now he was inviting them to receive God's spirit. Not just into the vineyard, but into their very hearts. To, the, to be their undying life. To be the earnest and guarantee of an infinite and imperishable inheritance. God's amazing grace given to us through the sacrifice of his son, the resurrection of his son, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit. So what shall we do? Pentecost was the birth of the New Testament church. It was a transformation from the old church to the new church. It was a transformation of God's people. People's hearts were transformed and tongues were transformed to speak the gospel in different languages. We have the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus at work in us. Today, to continue God's transforming work in us and in others. Now, many things occurred at Pentecost. And one of those things is the breaking of barriers. So we don't have to be separated into different cultures. We don't have to be separated into different behaviors and patterns of thinking. People... Sinners can come together to worship God and to proclaim the name of Jesus on account of what the Holy Spirit has done and continues to do. And we're not at all at the same place in our faith journeys. But the Holy Spirit brings us together in unity. This is not meaning sameness. It means oneness. It means that we have one, one body one hope, one faith, one baptism. It means we have one Lord, one Spirit. It means that we have one cause, 
And that cause is building up of God's kingdom here on this earth. As Parker shared with us, the commission, the great commission from Matthew 28. You see, the Holy Spirit does not bring sameness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Again, diverse people in diverse journeys, working, serving, living, loving together as a community of saints through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we get to practice right here on earth today what Revelation 7 verse 9 refers to when it says a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb praising our God. The church is a community and can only be a healthy community through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to continually invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our church. Not because he's not already there, but because we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is in us. That we have the same power in us that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us. I close off with reading from the Christian Reformed Contemporary Testimony, Our World Belongs to God. And I read Articles 29 and 30, which say this about the Holy Spirit and His work. The Spirit renews our hearts and moves us to faith, leads us into truth and helps us to pray, stands by us in our need and makes our obedience fresh and vibrant. God, the Spirit, lavishes gifts on the church in astonishing variety, prophecy, encouragement, healing, teaching, service, tongues, discernment, equipping each member to build up the body of Christ and to serve our neighbors. In Article 30, the Spirit gathers people from every tongue, tribe, and nation into the unity of the body of Christ. Anointed and sent by the Spirit, the church is thrust into the world, ambassadors of God's peace, announcing forgiveness and reconciliation, proclaiming the good news of God's grace. Going before them and with them, the Spirit convinces the world of sin and pleads the cause of Christ. Men and women, impelled by the Spirit, go next door and far away into science and art, media and marketplace, every area of life pointing to the reign of God with what they do and say.